0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We're continuing this week uh, in our series through the book of Hebrews called Never Better. So if you would turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, We did the first half of Hebrews chapter 3 last week, and we're going to finish that this week. And so, uh, as I've been doing, and and I've told you, at some point I'll I'll probably have to stop tracing the entirety of of the book with you at the beginning, but uh, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I'll just do it every week, because it's really important, as you study through books of the Bible, to uh, capture this idea, because it's, I really enjoy the fact that Uh, a big part of the diet that that we provide here of the Word of God comes in the form of going through books of the Bible. But one one difference between how we do that and how, let's say, maybe the early church would have encountered this letter is when this letter was written and sent to the congregations that first received it, it's likely that uh, the elders or the pastors there would have stood up and read the entire letter. And that probably would have been what constituted the the sermon that day, and they may have read it multiple times at at different points. And so we kind of break them up, right, half chapter at a time or so, just depending on the flow and what content is there. So uh, it's important, though, to realize that though we are going to take this a chunk at a time and and deal with what's there, it is one letter with one continuous flow of thought. And uh, just being able to keep that in mind as we move through will help us uh, keep, keep, keep the context in mind, but also the the small points tie into the big overall point. And, I, and that's really important. So what we have here is a book to uh, Christians in the first century who primarily were of Hebrew descent or Jewish descent. And so the, the, the big issue here is the overarching idea is that Jesus is superior. That's why the sermon series is called Never Better. Our idea is That if you have come to faith in Christ, if God, by his sovereign mercy, has grabbed a hold of you and and made you his, then regardless of kind of what else is going on, you really never have been better. Uh, That having Jesus is is kind of the key to everything. And then, on the the flip side of that, if if you are yet to come to faith in Christ, there are some things that in this life are are never going to get better until you come to the place of understanding that you are loved by God and that he is the very source of life and hope that you've been looking for. And so the, 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 the big premise here is that Jesus is superior to anyone or anything else we could be tempted to worship. And the, the way this author kind of leads us to that conclusion is primarily through comparison between the old covenant, which is good, but it's not best, and Jesus and the new covenant, which is The fullness of God's plan of redemption unfurled for us to see. And so he starts out in the beginning talking about how Jesus is superior to the prophets because there were many who were either being tempted into full or partial continuance with Old Testament uh, and Old Covenant practices and and restrictions and laws and and depending on that to have relationship with God. And so for them, the Old Testament prophets would have been somebody that maybe they held in too high of esteem, maybe... Almost those Old Testament prophets could get in the way of uh, their worship of jesus and and you might be thinking, man that's really weird i don't I don't you know again this is really it doesn't really apply to us today I, you know and maybe none of you have ever thought anything like this, but I've had a person tell me uh, that they they think maybe they they're more excited about meeting Paul in heaven than Jesus, okay so you know and, and you some of you are aghast at that, and good. That means you know you understand the argument of the book of Hebrews, but I'm just telling you, um, and maybe it's not something like that, but we do have a perennial temptation to slide things in front of uh, our adoration and allegiance and, and full love and worship of Jesus. That's something we all struggle with. Yours may not be Paul, yours may not be the Old Testament prophets, but these principles still apply. And so he takes us through the fact that Jesus, the prophets were good. They shared truth with God's people, but they were bits of truth. And that truth, actually, the the whole point of all of that put together was to lead us to Jesus. So don't be distracted there. Know the real point. And then he talks about angels. Don't worship angels. Jesus is greater than angels. And then the author anticipates the argument. Well, how can you be saying that? Jesus was just a man. We know who his dad and mom are. What are you talking about? This guy came from Nazareth. Are you serious? And he deals with that. He deals with the idea that Jesus needed to be human for God's plan of redemption to be fully done, right? That though Jesus was God and always was God, he took on humanity so that he could stand in our place and be the sacrifice for our sins. We needed a human representative to fix the problem of sin that man had caused, right? That's why Jesus is sometimes called the second Adam or the better Adam, okay? So takes us through that, then really starts to pick a fight. This is where we got into last week. Not only does he talk about the Old Testament prophets broadly, not only does he say Jesus is better than angels, now he goes in on Moses, and he says, Jesus is better than Moses. Yeah, right? So he's, and for for them, maybe for you, that was like, yeah, sure, you know, that doesn't really bother me, but for these folks that were receiving this letter, that was a big deal, all right? Them's fighting words, okay? So he carefully talks about why Jesus is, that Jesus was a he was a part of the house, but God is the builder that Christ is the builder, so let's make sure our worship is focused upon the builder, not the house and then uh, he took us to a, a quotation from psalm ninety five talking about the tendency to uh, harden hearts and to test god this this idea of uh, what happened at the at the in the in the wilderness when the people are thirsty God where are you at? Do you bring us out here to die? this kind of grumbling and and uh, so the, the, the argumentation continues, right? So, And that's what we're going to talk about this week is so tied to what was last week. I just wanted to make sure we were all together in case maybe you've missed some of that. So that brings us to Hebrews 3. Let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 12. And we're going to take it all the way to verse 19. Okay? Here we go. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end while it is said today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me for who provoked him When they had heard, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Praise God for his word. There's a lot to unpack here. So I want to, this morning I want to break this down first of all into, there's, this, this would be considered one of, of, by some, in the way they would kind of chop this up, one of five warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. But I think this warning, even there's two major problems that are brought to our attention. Okay? The first is an unbelieving heart. The second is, uh, first is an unbelieving heart. The second is the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. Let's not have an un, evil, unbelieving heart. Let's look out for the deceitfulness of sin. And so, someone grouped that all together. I, really, I think that's two distinct issues that we're being warned against here. And so, I'm going I'm to make a big statement here, but then I, you know, I'll, we'll take time to justify why I'm making this big statement. Okay. So, <clears throat> based on this and the entirety of what the scriptures say, an unbelieving heart is the greatest sin that we can commit, an unbelieving heart. Now, I think for most of us, that hits us a little bit sideways. Because for most of us, there's other sins that we would think, well, that that seems a lot worse than an unbelieving heart. But the idea that we, the, the end of what we just read leads us to the idea and the understanding that all of those other sins we could be thinking of ultimately flow out of an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart is the base from which those things are able to stabilize in someone's life and then, and then come to fruition. An unbelieving heart. And, and uh, why? Well, an unbelieving heart is evil. Isn't that what it said? Let not any of you have an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart. I don't know if even most of us this morning would, would feel super comfortable saying an unbelieving heart is an evil thing. We might be like, ooh, that's, that seems harsh, isn't it? Well, is it? Let's answer that question. An unbelieving heart is evil because it denies the goodness and trustworthiness of God. It denies, and, and, and this, this leads us th- to an idea that's really important about how we perceive God, our relationship to God, how we respond to God. Because for many people, uh, God is there's, there's some remnant of this idea for them that he's this maniacal, tyrannical, dictator, uh, maybe uh, very <clears throat> conceited? What does what this guy want glory for all the time? And what, what, is, that, what is that all about? And, and what this shows is this, this idea that an, un, an evil unbelieving heart is, is really the, the, the core issue that God is concerned about. It leads us to this idea of understanding that when, when the Bible talks about sin, when the Bible talks about holiness and, and and avoiding sin and, and all of that that what we don't have is a God that is just concerned with controlling the behavior of these kind of slaves that he created what we have is a God who cares about what the contents are of the heart of his children right and so sin is not just the breaking of God's law the sin is the breaking of God's heart it's, it's an affront to him because ultimately what it communicates, all of our disobedience down at the core, there's, you look all the way down in there, what do you have? What is that coming from? It's unbelief. It's unbelief and it's pride. How do those tie together? Well, ultimately, un, if I'm going to stand and say, okay, I, I don't believe something either about God's character, God's promises, or what he has said is good or bad for me, then what, what place am I now taking to stand? that I know more than God does about it. Now, I know that most of you are like, well, I don't sit there and think that. Yeah, but this, this is the alert to what's really happening down at the bottom. This is, even though you may not put that string of thoughts together, oh, I'm smarter than God, I'm better than God, I'm bigger than God, so as a result of that, I'm gonna not believe him, and I'm gonna believe me, or some other source of information. We, we don't put it together like that. But that's also why there's a warning against the, deceitfulness of sin because I understand now are there are there people out there so overcome by the forces of darkness that they are making front of the brain cognizant decisions to do exactly the opposite of what God says they they're full of hate and they want to hurt people of course that's true but that's not the norm normally it's it's pretty hard I think for the enemy to get people to that point but what's much easier is to be sly about the way he does it. Through the deceitfulness of sin, to bring us into places of pride and, and unbelief and then ultimately disobedience. And that's really what we're being warned against. And I do want to say this right now before we work on this more. Unbelief is not the same as doubt. In this way, I would, I would submit to you that if you have a if you're genuinely going to wrestle with the truth of God's word, the promises of God, all that the Bible claims and says, if you're going to genuinely engage with it, there's going to be, and really think about it, there's going to be points along the way where you're going to go, huh, right? You're going to have to actually, there, there, I believe doubts are are a sign of a, sometimes an actual healthy engagement with the claims of God and scripture. Okay, and so I'm not talking about doubts. I'm talking about unbelief as a posture of the heart. As you as you're reading your Bible or as you're listening to this sermon, what is the posture of your heart? Are you are you are there are there doubts there and questions? But ultimately, you do believe in God's goodness and you want His promises to be true. Is that your posture, or do you have this posture of uh, kind of a, a baseline of not? not thinking that God is really trustworthy and I don't really want it to be true. I'm looking, preacher, I'm sitting here waiting for you to mess up and say something that I can poke a hole into. That's the difference. That's, that's the difference between what an unbelieving heart looks like and somebody that is just having a genuine engagement with, with what God has said is true. Okay, so what I don't want is for you to go out of here and think, um, if, if I've got any kind of doubts in my life that, that I have an evil, unbelieving heart, and, and why do I want to make sure we don't do that? Because, buddy, we're going to pound real hard on the danger of an unbelieving heart today. So if you are in any danger of that, I want the conviction of God to sit upon you, and I want, I want you to deal with it. And I want you to let Jesus deal with it in you. But I, I don't want us to be confused about what that actually means, um, or end up in condemnation, because, look, uh, you start to genuinely engage with who God is and... And all of the claims of Scripture, you're going to come to places where uh, your, your brain is going to start to hurt a little bit. There's some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> okay, there are. I'll take it further. There are some things that you won't understand. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not in any way surprised there's things about God and what He does and who He is that I don't fully understand. I'm not surprised at all. But that can be. Satan can try to use that as a as a stumbling block for somebody. I, I think doubts can be healthy, but an evil, unbelieving heart is is a real serious problem. And and to to evidence that, I said I would I would justify the statement that an evil, unbelieving heart that that doubting God in that way is the greatest sin we can commit. Uh, first of all, I, I would just point you to the gospel. I would point you to the idea that it is. Reconciliation with God through Christ comes by faith. It comes by trust in God. And so, really, the one way you keep yourself out of the grace of God, relationship with God, is through unbelief, right? So that's, that's kind of a, a first point to make. But there's only, <clears throat> there's only two times in Scripture where we see God almost... And it's, guys, sometimes I wonder if like you see the Old Testament play out and you'll see conversations between God and Moses or God and this other prophet and, and it can seem like uh, the, the prophet's making a point and it's changing God's mind or something. And I, I just, my understanding of the Lord is, is not that he didn't know exactly what was gonna happen in that conversation and exactly what was gonna happen. Sometimes I think God lets things play out in a certain way because it's, it ultimately it's somehow it going that way is gonna lead us to the best good, the ultimate good right? So, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an example of that. That's why I brought that up. But there's only two points, and even in this idea, there's two points where it seems in Scripture where God gets annoyed enough to say something to the effect of, how long am I going to have to put up with you, people? <laughs> okay. And, and again, it's like th- this this idea is is voiced from God, and ultimately I think it's meant for our shaping and forming. It's not like we, we finally got on God's nerves enough, you know what I mean, to get him like, because if that was the case, right, that would be, if that was possible, it'd be all the time, right? I could single-handedly get that done, if, you know what I'm saying, for sure, if a few of you uh, are, are, are joining me in that uh, humbly, that's good. So let me, I want to read you these, and again, I'm just, we're building a case for, okay. I, I, <laughs> I want us all to be shook today by the idea that an evil, unbelieving heart is a major problem, okay? That we need need to deal with that, and we need to make sure that's not something uh, that that we're teetering towards, okay? So the the first time we see it is in Numbers 14. Let me read you this, starting in verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron again, saying, how long shall I put up with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are voicing against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Now remember, there was several things. The congregation of the people of Israel complained against Moses and then complained against God, but there there seemed to be this semi-consistent theme of, why did God bring us out here? Remember Egypt? Let's go back to the... At least there was water there, and they had onions and leeks there, right? And, And it was this idea... What do, God, what you do, bring us out here to kill us? Which is, you know, we have the benefit of looking in retrospect. It's like, guys, that's a, that's a really dumb question. Went through ten plagues and split in a Red Sea. And, you know, even at the point of, of water out of the rock, they'd, they'd already been eating manna. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what? Come on, fellas. But this, this is where we can get sometimes. And, and the, the, the question of God is, how long shall I put up with this evil generation? And then he says, as... As I live, declares the Lord, just as you as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Okay, you've said it enough times now. Okay, right, and, and we see this idea repeated in Romans. There is there is there is an element in the way God deals with us that if we just continue to kick against the goads, if we just continue in our persistent rebellion against Him, there is a point where He will go. Okay, it's almost as if we, if we'll do if we'll work that hard to prove. We don't want him, and we don't trust him. He's, he's not going he, to make you. He, he will give you over to, if that's what you really want, if that's what you really want to believe, okay. He says, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. All your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not, by no means will you come into the land where I swore to settle you, except for Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become plunder, this was another thing they said. What? Are you going to kill us and our children are going to become slaves? Those kids you said would become plunder because you're not trusting me, because you're operating in evil unbelief. I will bring them in and they will know the land which you have rejected. What's the reference to Joshua and Caleb? We talked about this last week. God says, I'm going to give you this land. You guys, I'm going to go with you. Go and take it. The people are like, hmm. God's word isn't good enough on that. Let's do some of our own investigation, right? What, what God sees about it, what God has said about it, that's, eh, that's not enough. Let's send some people to verify what God has already said is gonna happen. Okay, so we send 12 spies, two come back. That's the reference to Caleb and Joshua. They come back and say, yeah, God said we can do it, we can do it. The other 10 come back, oh, there's giants over there and we're like grasshoppers. There's no way, we can't do it. We can't, God, and what is that really? Trace it down. What is that really? That's an unbelieving heart. I don't trust God's goodness or I don't trust God's power or both. And what are we reading right now? Okay. All sin leads to death. Unbelief leads to death. And so that's what we have being laid out here. Also, your sons will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your bodies perish in the wilderness in accordance with the number of days that you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall suffer the punishment of your guilt a year. So this is where the 40 years in the wilderness came from. And you will know my opposition. see, Because they'd been talking like the Lord was opposing them. They'd been talking like the Lord brought them out there to kill them when all he'd been doing is being good to them the whole time. When all he'd been doing the whole time was providing for them. When all he'd been doing the whole time was being faithful to them. And what's he say? Okay, I'm going to show you what my opposition looks like. I, the Lord, have spoken. I certainly will do this to all the evil congregation who are gathered together against me. They shall be worn out in this wilderness, and there they shall die. This is the first of two times in all of the scriptures where, where we see God say something like, how long will I have to put up with you? Where's the second time? It's actually in Mark 9. There's a little boy that's, demon-possessed, has been since birth, and there's a desperate father seeking for help. The apostles try to cast the demon out. They can't. And then this happens. This, This is the father talking to Jesus. But if you can do anything, so Jesus asked him, how long has this been happening? Father says, since birth. And then he keeps going. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can that's a great question. If you can? Like I, I, like, I like to imagine sassy Jesus sometimes. This is sassy Jesus. I, I imagine his head cocked a little bit, you know? It might have wagged even. If, if you can, right? What, and then what does he say? All things are possible for the one who believes. And here's... <clears throat> I want you to remember that this to me is one of the most holy prayers recorded in all the scripture, and it'll, it'll help us today, because today I want you to leave here realizing that just because at some level you trust God, at some level you believe his gospel, does not mean you are in the clear in terms of the temptation of unbelief, okay? And, and, and so what do I do? That's, that could be terrifying, because we're talking about unbelief being the greatest sin possible against a good and holy God, right? Right? Ah, what do I do? This is one of the most helpful and holy prayers recorded in all of scripture. Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. This right here opens up a possibility for for something that I don't know that we often think about. We, we sometimes think of maybe two categories. You don't believe or you do believe. This opens up this idea that we can believe but still be struggling with unbelief. That we can, we can believe to a, a degree, but when it comes to a certain temptation, when it comes to a certain challenge, there is still a growth needed in our ability to trust God. Lord, I believe... Help my unbelief. That could seem like a nonsensical, paradoxical statement, but looking at it here today, among everything else that we're talking about, actually helps us to understand what this guy could even be thinking when he says it. Is he just frantic because his son is demon-possessed? I mean, surely he is frantic, but that's not where this comes from. This is a spirit-inspired, wise prayer that I'm so thankful God made sure, made it in to Mark's account of Jesus' life and ministry. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm encouraging you that by the end of today, that should be a prayer that you're praying. It's a prayer I think we all should pray. And so, what we have, as I said in the beginning, is, is two warnings. An unbelieving heart and the deceitfulness of sin. And these I think sometimes this gets grouped together because they do interplay so closely. The, the deceitfulness of sin and us being opened up to that does ultimately, when you trace it down, come down to a prideful and unbelieving heart. right? All sin ultimately is at some level. It's, in some instances, you, you, you could make the argument for sin being out of ignorance. Even then, though, it speaks to Maybe, maybe, how much time and energy we put into knowing what god 's truth is right sometimes we're, we're staying willfully ignorant okay that's not to say that the deceitfulness of sin is never that we are we are fully tricked by the wiles of the enemy into something that we, we could not have seen coming. I, I do think sometimes temptation works like that, um, but I think if we were to if we overweight that in terms of dealing with ourselves, as far as these things are concerned, we, we, would, we miss the potential for a lot of growth. Because yes, sometimes, sometimes the snare of sin is set and, and you're, just, you're just walking along and, and without any warning, the thing springs, right? Sometimes temptation does come that way, but that's, that's rarer than some of these other ways, I think, that we're gonna talk about and, and need to deal with here. So ultimately, an unbelieving heart a prideful, unbelieving heart. And the second warning is the deceitfulness of sin. Let's just read this again. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, I know some of you, some of you know enough about the book of Hebrews to know that we're going to uh, be thrust into one of the hottest theological debates throughout church history as a result of being in this book, okay? And so this isn't even the first hint. I've just ignored it so far, but I'm just gonna call it out because I don't want some of you to be distracted by what we are gonna be discussing because there is so much rich treasure to be uh, dealt with here. There's so much rich encouragement and challenge for us here. So when it, when it says something like, take care, brethren, there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Some of you, you, you realize there's, there's this debate over the idea of, okay, so what does, what does a scripture like that mean when it says fall away from the living God? And it's the two orthodox... I, I'm going to give you the quickest summary possible because we're going to get thrust into it even harder later and we're going to deal with it then. But I'm just going to preface it this way and I'm going to ask you to shelf it until we get there, okay? The, the, this book will not let us escape having a long conversation together about these ideas, okay? We will have it. But the, the, big, the big idea is either... Uh, somebody can be saved by grace through faith in Christ and then commit something that is sometimes called apostasy. So they, they, could, they could receive the faith that comes through Christ and then let it go and walk away from it. Okay, That's one position. That gets characterized a lot of different ways and, and people that don't agree that that's possible will caricature people unfairly, but we'll talk about all that later. The other position is that if you genuinely come to faith in Christ, it is impossible for you to let go of that. That, that, that It's not, you can get in and, and then get out somehow. And so there's, there's names for that and there's different theological camps for that and, and, and we'll, we'll break all that down in detail because thankfully the, the book of Hebrews will not let us uh, avoid it. So not that I want to avoid it. I want to have the conversation. It's going to be great. There's going to be people irritated on either side of it. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to provoke everybody and it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. But, for now, I just want you to understand, okay, there's two ways to think about it. We're going to deal with it. So for now, let's not focus on the fact that one of the warnings here, how he frames the warning, is let there not be an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So don't, I don't want you sitting here while we're trying to deal with the rest of what's here going, oh, what, what does falling away mean? We'll deal with it, okay? All right, that's that. <clears throat> now, and, and because... Here's, here's how Satan would like to work. There's, there is some incredibly deep, helpful, practical truth here in these warnings as they're given to us today. The enemy would like you to sit here and be thinking about whatever you know about some theological debate the entire time instead of actually receiving the rest of what is here today. That's, that's, now, I'm giving you a third warning today. The Bible gave us two. I'm giving you a third. Don't do that. Don't, don't sit there and think about that. Let's deal with the rest of what's here because I promise we'll get to unpacking this, this idea of falling away and what that could mean, okay? So we dealt with uh, an evil, unbelieving heart it, in both instances, okay? And, and what I didn't read you from Mark 9 is right before this, this exchange, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus says, if you can. Right before that, Jesus kind of exclaims out loud, not a quotation, but something very close to what we read in Numbers. You evil, unbelieving generation, how long am I going to have to be with you? That's the second. There's only two times we see God kind of open up this idea to us that you guys are getting on my nerves, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? Like, you know. <laughs> you know. Some of you parents know the feeling. Some of you remember that look on your parents' uh, face, right? As their their hand drew back and then slowly came back down. It's like, buddy, I'd like to pop you upside your head, right? All the perfect parents in here are saying, well, I don't know what that feels like. I've never experienced (laughs) that. What do you mean, right? (laughs) Amen. So this... an evil, that's what I'm trying to get to, man. An evil, unbelieving, it, it, this un- idea of unbelief, there's only two times you, you, get, you get the sense that the Lord is a, really wants to backhand us to the point that he says, how long am I going to have to deal with this? And both times it's centered around people refusing to believe him or operating out of unbelief. And you might still be sitting here thinking, man, I, just, I don't think that's fair. If, can I just ask you to put a pin in that? If, if I've not made a strong enough case for why, I mean, you'll, you'll, you could have this idea of somebody, you could say this to somebody and say, well, but, but I'm trying to believe God. How would you feel if someone that you know very well and loves you said that to you? You, give, you make some statement to them about something and they're saying, well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to believe you. What what does that communicate to you? That and we couldn't even get as upset about it as God because maybe we've given people a reason to have to try to believe us right sometimes. Sure. Fair, but but even someone that knows you really well and should kind of know your heart and intentions behind it and that should have some trust that, that what you're saying to them is true, that would hurt you. And and God has God in his perfection has all the reason for that to hurt him, right? Because he's only ever kept his promises he's only ever been good and he's only ever shown that anytime he said this is going to happen or this is not going to happen he's got the power to back it up so what are you doubting that's right unbelief is your unbelief centered on the fact that you don't actually think he's good and his intentions towards you are good or is is your unbelief centered on the fact that you don't actually think he has the power to do what he said he's going to do either one is no bueno so so like Maybe spend some time in prayer and ask God to help you, show you. What is it that I'm actually struggling to believe about how God has revealed himself? And then, as you realize that, then, then you come back to the scriptures, you look at the world around you and, and start to doubt your doubts. You know, that's a really healthy practice. I mean, some people, uh, they, they, just, they just go with it and, and, and let, let doubts and unbelief kind of um, be this primary shaping force for how they operate. Where did you get so confident that your doubts deserve as much clout as you give them? Right? It seems like people are very okay to doubt the truth claims of God and his word, but what, why, why are you cool with that but not to doubt your own doubt? Question your questions. If, if my struggle is ultimately, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really believe God's powerful enough to do what he said he's going to do. Well, um, take a walk outside, go to a local park, have a look at like the sun in the sky and The clouds that represent uh, a water cycle that's perfectly built for uh, our planet to be able to sustain. Breathe some oxygen and think about, man, those plants over there are exhaling what I'm breathing in. That seems maybe designed. I don't know, right? Look at the sun that's 93 million miles away-ish, and if we were a little closer, we'd burn. A little farther, we'd freeze. Look at the variation of plant life just in your local park, and then then decide there's like If I give it billions of years, does it make sense that that ash tree became an elm tree and then somehow they made it and became an oak tree and then um, we got these tulips and daffodils over here and that all came from the same thing and then you see a squirrel and maybe you get lucky and you see a raccoon in the tree and then you look at yourself and you're like, yeah, you know, one lightning bolt hit some kind of primordial chemical soup and then a tadpole wiggled around for a while and then it did a backflip up onto land and then that became, you know, some kind of um, small lizard and then here we are! Look, I, I, I personally struggle a little bit with the idea of, of, um, like a, a divine order. Basically, the, like the the process of evolution as it's understood being, being that's like that's the way God did all of this. That it was over this long, slow period of time. I I totally can understand both the science and theological reasons why someone would say that, but. And I'm okay with that. If somebody is a a theistic evolutionist, like, okay, at least you're acknowledging the reality that this just going poof, and here it is, is nonsensical. Like, doubt your doubts, man. And why did I go into that whole thing? What am I talking about? Well, if you're going to doubt God's power, you have to look at creation and go, that's not that impressive. (laughs) Eh, and that's your attitude, you're wrong. Like, just look harder. Like, watch National Geographic or something. Like, get impressed, because creation's pretty rad. <laughs> and shows some incredible power and in creativity. And love. Like, attention to detail. Some, somebody, somebody engineered this thing to work out pretty good for us. Amen. And that's just one example of something you can go look at to, to doubt your doubts. That's just one way you can think about whether or not God's power, is God powerful enough to back up what he says? That's just one example, okay? There's many many more. These are the kind of things we should think about. We should doubt our doubts. Okay, unbelief is an issue. Evil, unbelieving hearts are an issue, okay? If nothing else, I want you to have to wrestle with after today, the fact that God saw fit to put the word evil in front of unbelieving hearts. The second big issue here is the deceitfulness of sin, okay? And again, the deceitfulness of sin can, is, is tied into that unbelieving heart, how that affects us, how it makes us see us and God. How does the deceitfulness of sin work? Multiple ways. I'm going to give you some examples. This is probably not comprehensive, but they'll at least get us thinking in the right direction. How is sin deceitful? Well, first of all, the idea could, can somewhat be captured, um, in the idea of like the way a fisherman fishes, right? It's bait on a hook. The hook is hidden by the bait and then that's thrown into the water, right? So ultimately, at one level, fishermen are practicing deceit, right? Because if, if the fisherman was at like Aquaman and able to say, hey guys, I'm about to throw this hook in the water and I'm gonna you know, pull it really hard when you try to bite it and hook you in the lip, I'm gonna pull you up on land and eat you, if that communication was able to happen, the fish probably wouldn't want to party, right? Like, no, I'm cool on you, right? So what the fisherman's really doing is, is practicing deceit on, uh, you know, a life form of, of lower intelligence. So um, sin often works that way. You can think of a fish hook, you can think of a baited trap, you know, whatever analogy kind of makes sense for you. What are the, some of the specific ways Struggled with that word, didn't I? I don't know. That's an easy one. What are the specific ways that somehow the the hook gets baited or we get tricked into thinking that sin is a, a good idea? One way is that the, the idea that, well, <clears throat> whatever this thing I'm being tempted to is, it just isn't that big of a deal. Anybody that would be concerned about this is overblowing it. It's, it's, just, it's just not that big of a deal. Okay? Is, is there a truth that would... Expose the fact that that's deceitful. Yes. You <laughs> uh, can think of many examples. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin, um, every sin, all sin, is what? Death. Okay, okay, so now we're up to like serious level. A bit. Thank God there's good news that comes behind that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right? But the wages of sin is Death. The wages of an unbelieving heart that leads to a disobedient heart is death. And again, we go to great lengths here because of what we believe the the, the big message of the Bible is, because we believe all of the Bible is ultimately pointing us to Christ and his gospel, to to unpack the nature of that. Because it's very easy to just devolve into this moralistic, legalistic, just here's the things God doesn't want you to do, don't do them. Here's the things God wants you to do, do them. But why why does sin lead to death? Is it because... God created us and really likes punishing people? No. It's because God, who is creator, is the very source of life. And in order to be connected to that source of life, you you have to be willing to trust him. You have to be in relationship with him. You have to be connected to him. To decide, I know better than him, I'm going my own way, is to exit that connection and that source of life. It's not like you sin. And, and, and then God's pulling, you know, hand grenades that, that represent death, and he's got to throw a hand grenade at you, and he's going to, I'm going to blow you up and punish you with death. No, man. Separating yourself by disobedience with an unbelieving heart, moving away from God who is the source of life, if, if that's the source, you get away from it, you're, what are you, you going to do? You're going to die, Right? So that's how that looks, and that's how that works. Sin is a big deal. It's always a big deal. Every single thing God has said don't do, it's because ultimately that thing will hurt you. Every single thing God has said to do, it's ultimately because that thing will be for your good. Well, I don't see how. I don't know what to tell you. You don't know everything. (laughs) All right. That's good. There's a $10 truth for you right there. You can put that in your pocket and think about it. Okay, so I would say an evolved form of it's not that big of a deal, um, maybe getting, we're, we're getting more to some really prideful, ignorant defiance is to, to go from it isn't that big of a deal to how, how is sin deceitful? Remember, that's what we're talking about. To get to the idea that it isn't a sin at all. It's actually good. The Bible talks about this. Tendency in us as humans to, that is going to increase the further along we get here towards the coming of Christ, that we, we actually can get to the point where God says that's bad, but we say that's good. God says that's good, we say that's bad. Like we are so audacious, we are so ignorant in our prideful foolishness that we will literally go the exact opposite and say it out loud. Oh God, I know you and your word says this, but I'm saying the exact opposite. You a fool is what you are. And I don't, look, I'm not trying to be harsh there, but I am, look, I'm trying to rattle your cage a little bit for sure. There's one word for direct intentional defiance to the truth of God. It's foolishness. And that's it. So we can, we can get tricked into thinking it's not that big of a deal. We can get tricked into thinking, oh, on this thing, God is actually wrong. Another way, maybe it's, maybe it's none of that. Maybe there is this, maybe the battle temptation is so great, like, yeah, we know it's wrong, but this, but this deceitful a suggestion will come along that well, no one will know. Does it really matter if no one knows? Right? If I do this thing and no one ever knows, and maybe as far as I can tell, uh, it, it, if it is gonna hurt anybody, it'd only be hurting me. And if no one's ever going to know, why would it matter? Well, how do we, is there truth in the scripture that would undo the potential for that deceitfulness of sin to get us? Absolutely there is, because the one who matters most will always know. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. So even if you think you can pull something off, and none of the rest of us will ever know... <laughs> The one who matters most always knows. And so you can just short circuit the whole fight you may have, right? As temptation comes, the the enemy through the deceitfulness of sin, or just through your own fleshly desires, right? I mean, let's be honest. We can get into some of these deceptions. We don't even need the forces of darkness help. Just our own sinful fleshly tendencies, we can do this to ourselves. We can trick ourselves sometimes yikes man so you're gonna have one of two responses at at, at the end of hearing all this like oh my gosh i have no hope i'm (laughs) in serious trouble or i mean really that's the right answer it's just what you do with that do you curl up in a ball and like oh there's no hope or do you go man i really need jesus like i need the holy ghost every minute because there's all these potential ways that i could i could mess this up i could be led into deception uh and so, what do, what do we have? Evil, unbelieving heart, and we have the deceitfulness of sin. Let me read this one more time. Take care, brethren, that there not in any of you, not be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So none, of you, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's the other thing I wanted to say. I knew I forgot something, and if I read that scripture again, it would jog my memory. Do you guys know that's what I was doing? Now I told you. This idea of being hardened, an evil, unbelieving heart, it talked about them hardening their heart, right? In, in the wilderness against God, that whole idea. I want, I want to give you another piece of ammunition against that lie that it doesn't matter if no one knows. Or, particularly, this sin, if it's going to have a negative effect, it's only going to be on me. Or, or you might think, I've done this lots of times and I can't perceive any negative ramifications. So maybe God's wrong on this one. And again, I know most of you wouldn't think about it like that, but we operate out of unbelief sometimes. We operate out of the deceit of sin. Whether or not you actually have formulated these thoughts, you have to look at what, what, does, what do my actions communicate I actually believe. Okay? Okay. What we, what we don't know is happening oftentimes, what happens sometimes slowly and gradually, is a hardening of the heart. And that's one of the big warnings in this whole section. Don't be like those who in the wilderness hardened their heart against God. Don't be like those who in the wilderness started with maybe some fleeting thought that I'm thirsty, ended up all the way at, God, did you bring us out here to kill us? The hardening of the heart is, is part of what we're being warned against here. And and every single time you decide to give in to the deceitfulness of sin, even if on the backside of that, you know, you're two weeks out and you, and you look back on it, it's like, well, nothing bad happened. What you don't understand is that every, every time we go that way, there's, there, there's this slow process that can be a hardening of the heart against our, our trust and obedience to God and our love for God. Okay? And so we need to, we need to make sure we just don't ever believe the lie that sin has no consequences or that sin is not hurting people because let's, let's even undo this idea that, oh, it's only going to affect me. Are people around you going to be affected if your heart is harder as a result of disobedience to God? Yes, they are. And you may not even notice or realize that that's what's happening. But the people around you will suffer as a result of your heart being harder than it should be, or your love for God growing cold, okay? I'm going to leave you to think of examples of how that's possible, because there's many, 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 okay? So, two big problems, unbelieving heart, deceitfulness of sin, Woo! those are big problems. Hopefully, we now at least are convinced they are big problems. What is the remedy? Are we offered a remedy? I think it's I think the, the direct remedy that we're offered here is very interesting because right in the middle of this warning, let there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And then uh, while it is called today that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, Here's the two, that's the two-part warning. Right in the middle, what we're given is a remedy. What we're given is a safeguard, a defense, a shield against those things happening. What is it? But encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is called today. Let's deal with that idea first. Don't be a daggone procrastinator. Stop coming to sermons like this, nodding your head along, leaving here and doing nothing about it. Because while today is called today is what we are called to in this invitation. There's a reason God set the world up with a sun that rises and falls. There's, there's a reason why your word, that your, your Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. There's a reason why God set things up the way he did. At one side, the fact that there's mercy new every morning, that's really helpful for me. Because that means I don't have to drag my screw-ups from yesterday into today. God's mercy is new for me today. I can start from a place of encouragement. I can start from a place of hope. All right, God, you gave me another one. Hallelujah. Let's do it. But on the other hand, on, on almost an, an opposite view of that is do not hear the warning, do not hear the encouragement and just let it pass by you or think, oh, I'm not ready to deal with that. I'm going to stick that on the shelf for another day. Because also another day is not promised. And all of the, all of the devastation that comes, through, what we're being warned against here. There's, there's an urgency to this. this is, that's why he says, while today, while it's called today, today, right now, don't procrastinate. Don't put, it, don't put it off. As the truth of the word of God comes to your ears and impacts your heart, begins to shape the way you feel and think and act, that, that's a process that should, we should embrace that immediately and not uh, be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. So let, let's let that hit you today, man. Today. Let it hit you. That's, that's how it should work. So what is, what is the remedy? It is to encourage one another daily. And I've read this so many times. I've thought about this. But, but for some reason this time, I found myself asking the question, like, what does that really mean? Encourage each other daily. Encourage one another daily daily. And then he goes on to say, while it is called today, but encourage one another day after day, day after day, as long as it's still called the day. So it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's anticipating that we, may, we might try to wiggle out of what he's actually saying here. Cause it's, it's really, this is a pretty big deal. He's really saying a primary remedy to the deceitfulness of sin and an evil unbelieving heart is encouraging one another every day. Like, did he leave any room to wiggle out of that implication? Day after day, today. You guys get it? <laughs> like, and so, man, I found myself really uh, asking the question, like, what, is, what does that look like? And, and are, we, are we taking that seriously? And, and friends, out of what God has given us in the scriptures today, this, this, this is the primary challenge. I want us, I want us to take this seriously. I want us to really ask the question, what does it mean for us to encourage one another daily as it is called today? I I don't see another practical answer other than every single day. And and, and, and isn't it interesting that the, the way this is phrased is not be encouraged daily. It's calling you to do it, right? This writer is going to go on later to talk about, let's graduate from milk to meat. Grow up. That's a big part of the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Grow up. Part of what it means to grow up and to walk in love and to be, have your life be shaped like Jesus Christ, your master, is to more and more have your heart and mind, thoughts and energies focused on the good of others more than your own. But the beauty of what's supposed to happen is as the community of faith does that, then it's, it's going back and forth. It's not just always you pouring out, but you've also got those pouring in. It's supposed to be a community based on self-sacrificial love that is so bright the world is drawn to it. A world that is drowning in darkness sees. Jesus went so far as to say, the, the primary indicator that's gonna let the world know that you belong to me, what do he say? Is it, is it holiness? Did he say it's, uh, the fact that you don't do the sins that people think are bad, really bad in the time and place where you live, that's, that's how they'll know your love one for the other. That's going to be it. And that's part of what this looks like. I'm challenging, what, what am I really saying here? I am challenging you to take this seriously. I'm challenging you to build into your life a rhythm of making sure you are encouraging other believers every single day. Every single day. now, Some of you have a spouse who's a believer. Amen, that counts, but I'm gonna challenge you not only to do that, but to push beyond that. What would it look like if in this church, every single day, every single day, every single person that was a part of this church took this command right here seriously to encourage someone else every single day? What, What kind of formative effect would that have on us as a faith community? I can think of several. One, right off the bat, I'm not going to be able to be so kind of lackadaisical, apathetic, maybe go a whole week without even really thinking about my church, my church family, like the spiritual formation of all of us, what God is doing with us as a people. It'd be really hard for me to go a whole week distracted by all the things I got going on in life and not actually thinking about what is God doing with the group of people he's called me to be a part of to accomplish his mission of getting the gospel to the world. I wouldn't be able to do that because every single day I'd be thinking, okay, I'm I'm, I'm gonna, I want to text this person a scripture, or I want to text this person a prayer that I'm praying for them, or I want to ask this person how I can be praying. I want to encourage another believer every single day. I want to meet with somebody and make sure they know that they're loved and cared for. And I'm going to share some of my struggles that I'm going with so they can be encouraged as they see the good news of how Jesus is carrying me through what I'm going through. I'm just giving you examples in the middle of my ramble here about ways you can encourage people in case you don't know what that looks like. But if every single day you took upon you the responsibility, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be an encouragement to other believers, what kind of formative shaping would that have? How much would you have to grow up from where you are right now to take that responsibility on? And what I'm saying is, as I read this, I just don't see any wiggle room for us to act like this is a a light suggestion. So why why isn't this something that we have taken to heart and saw... Ask for God's help to walk out. And for some of you, look, this could look different. Some of you, just the way you're wired, you are gonna do better with a small circle of friends, maybe just a couple, or or, or people that you're really growing in deep relationship with. That's totally fine. You could have a small circle. But What I'm talking about is if that's the case, if that's how you're built, then find the other people like that and you guys encourage one another daily. Daily, figure out every day Somehow I'm going to encourage this person in their faith, whether it's sharing my struggles, whether it's praying for them, whether it's sharing the scripture with them, however you do it, whether it's meeting together, whether it's a text, I don't care, email, smoke signal, whatever you want to do, man. But somehow encourage them. Some of you, you've got the bandwidth. You, can, you could have a person for every day of the week and have that many things going on, and, and God has gifted you in, in that way, and so amen. Amen. Some of you could do two people a day. There's a couple people in this church. I don't know how they do anything other than text people encouraging things about Jesus because they're doing it all the time. And I'm real thankful for them. Somehow, whether it was because of these verses or some other conviction or however it happened, they've already grabbed on to this concept. But I'm saying, I don't want any of us to be able to get past today thinking it's okay for us not to obey this. And... I'm really excited, actually, about what it would mean for us as a faith community if we start to walk in obedience to this command. How much deceitfulness of sin would have its legs cut out from under it before it even got to us? How many of us would have our heart shaped more and more? How much could this very principle be the answer to the prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? The help for our unbelief can come in this kind of self-sacrificial, intentional service to one another and making it's my responsibility to make sure every single day I'm encouraging at least one person in their faith. How much more time would you have to spend in prayer? Because some of you are like, okay, yeah, I could do that. But you're not thinking about, there's 365 days in a year. You've got you to come up with a lot of ways to encourage people. Is that not going to push you to your Bible? Is that not going to push you to prayer? When you take this on as a solemn responsibility, commanded of you by God, every single day, I need to be somebody encouraging other people. Are you going to need help for that? I will. I do. Because sometimes I don't know what to say to some of you. I've been tempted sometimes to say, "How long?" <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're all great, precious, precious saints, and I love you. But do you see how if we took this if we took this command seriously? How? Um, and evil unbelief would have a harder time thriving among us do you see how the deceitfulness of sin would have a harder time thriving among us of course it would man it would have a fight at the door and it'd have to get through every single person to even get in here and get on somebody this is this is a real important serious call and i just if I would have just started today, we didn't, we didn't open up our Bibles, we, we didn't read this passage of Scripture, if I would have just stood up and said, guys, there's two big problems in the world, unbelieving, evil hearts, and the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I want everyone to give me, what do you think we should do about it? What's, what's the answer to those things? I don't know how many of us just out of our own understanding, I mean, we probably would say things like love and pray, and you know, we would have maybe got close, adjacent to this answer, But this is is very specific. This is a practical application of love and hope and trust. It's doing something with it. Amen. Have I made the challenge really clear? Is there anybody in here that doesn't understand that what I'm saying to you is it's your job to encourage someone else every single day in their faith? Have I made that perfectly crystal clear? Is there anyone... We have a picture, Adam, that we could put up here that maybe would make that clear. If you guys find something on the internet, babe, that would be good. My wife is in there. That's why I said, babe, in case you don't know that. Um, that's that's my honey right there. So, okay. Thank you for serving like that too. You're a queen. Uh, some other things to think about as I close this down. <clears throat> Back to this idea of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you know, can can you think about your life and how things play out sometimes and and realize that this is true? That sometimes we operate out of things we don't even truly believe. Here's here's what I'm saying. Isn't there not some times where maybe for whatever reason, whatever difficulty, maybe you're having an overwhelming sense of feelings that, that it's directing you a certain way. And then somebody does what the Bible is calling us to here. And, and, and by God's great grace, somebody that, that loves you and has the truth of the word inside of them crosses your path. And you're like, let's say you're, you're just heading toward, you're real grumbly that day, negative attitude and not grateful and and maybe um, un, unjustified anger at people or even justified anger at people. And, and you're, just, you're just heading in a, a a direction that's really not gonna be good for you or anybody else, and somebody stops you and says, hey man, what, what you're believing or how you're acting here, does, that doesn't represent the truth. Have, have any of you ever been in a situation where like you're doing something, saying something, thinking something, feeling someone, something, and somebody has enough guts and love for you to say that's actually not true, and you go, I know, Right? You know what I'm talking about? Because ultimately, when confronted with the reality of the actual truth of the thing, somewhere down in there, you do know. But you are still running the opposite direction of what you know. What? So I, I just think it, it's just a humbling recognition for us that sometimes we actually are operating, we are, we are running full steam ahead in the opposite direction of what we know is the right direction. Sometimes we just do that. And, and how does that happen? Like, I don't know, <laughs> the deceitfulness of sin. Somehow we get deceived into operating opposite of what we actually believe is true. And we also need to get a lot more grateful, I think, in general, among the people of God. For those that do love us enough and have the guts that when we're in that kind of state of mind, when they do stand squarely in our way and say, you're making a mistake, man. That's wrong. We, we have to get better at seeing that as love. We have to get better at seeing that as a blessing instead of, well, I know, but I I know what you're saying is true, but you just don't know blah, 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 blah. What are you you even talking about? (laughs) Nothing really is what you're talking about. Thank you for telling me the truth and loving me enough to do it. That's, That's a picture. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that even the bulk of the encouragement that we're challenging each other today to operate in daily is going to be Corrective in nature. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I do want to make sure we understand that sometimes encouragement can be corrective in nature If you're running headlong the opposite direction of what you actually believe or know is true Or if you have if you have been duped to the point where All the way at the level of what you believe at your core, you're believing a lie Then it is encouraging It's an encouraging thing for someone to give you the truth that is is going to lead you away from the devastation that following that path based on a lie based on an untruth is going to lead you towards right at one level we're all sitting here you know we're in church this morning we've got our bibles open the holy spirit's working on our hearts right now in this moment we're all going oh yeah that's pretty simple that makes sense yeah when someone tells me the truth that's a good thing they love me let's just make sure it translates to when you're all amped up and ready to fight that's where it really matters (laughs) the fact that you can maybe nod your head about it right now I mean that's great. I hope you're not in your head, but like, <laughs> out in real application and, and the difficulty of what uh, struggling through this broken world can look like sometimes. That's that's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, <clears throat> and us encouraging one another uh, in that way. It 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 really. There's no way that the deceitfulness of sin can trick us. That us operating in this in this commandment in a real way of encouraging one another daily can't bring an answer to. Because, I mean, think about it again. Maybe you, maybe you get mixed up in the idea that whatever sin you're toying with isn't that big of a deal. Somebody that loves you and has a Bible in their hand is going gonna, is gonna to notice that and go, hold on. You're, you're, you're believing that disobedience, that, that disbelieving God and pride is, is not that big of a deal. That's going to hurt you, man. Or that it's not a sin, it's good. Somebody that loves you and has a Bible in their hand is going to go, hold on, man, the, the word of God actually says this thing that you're calling good is bad. Let's let's reassess. And if we're getting each other's lives in a much more vibrant way, I mean, the, the whole no one will know thing, that that gets put to death pretty quick. Especially if I'm committing not only in this to understand that God is calling me every single day today, day after day, today, all the days, every day to intentionally be encouraging one another as the household of faith. Right? That's the call. That's what we're being called to. And ultimately, how, how can, how could we be operating in that? So I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be then making an effort in other people's life, but then I know they're going to be making an effort into my life. And in order for that to be fruitful, in order for that to be beautiful, in order for that to do all that God intends for it to do, it's going to require honesty. It's going to require openness. It's going to require walking in the light as he is in the light. It's going to require putting to death all of the lies and shame that might keep me from telling the truth about what's going on with me, what I'm struggling with, what my family's struggling with. We walk in the light as he is in the light. When we do that, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's freedom in this, guys. This, this call, this command, I don't know how it hits you this morning. The fact that I'm drawing a line and saying, I'm calling each of you to take this on as an as a absolute commandment that we make it our business to encourage one another daily. It's hitting different people in different ways. Some of you are like, oh, wow, I never really thought of it in that concrete of a way. I'm excited to begin doing that. Some of you are terrified. (laughs) Wherever you're at in the thing, know that God's never called us to do anything that he will not also equip us to do. Some of you realize this means I'm going to have to get to know some people. This means I may not be able to run in here five minutes after service begins and run out as soon as I possibly can. Let me look up when I say that. I'm not looking at anybody because I don't really know who comes in when. But, uh, man... I may, have to, I may have to really make some effort to have some relational connection that we can have this kind of give and take where I'm encouraging them and they're encouraging me. And again, it may start with one friend for you. Maybe it's a text every day. Maybe it's a meeting every so often, getting together and sharing a meal. I don't know. It can look a lot of different ways. I'm trying not to like pigeonhole it because there's a lot of ways you can encourage one another daily. But I'm just asking you to let the, the conviction of this command sit on you and do something about it today. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the second half of Hebrews 3. Thank you that you don't sugarcoat things. Thank you for telling us plainly that unbelieving hearts are evil. Lord, help those of us that are struggling with that idea to to grapple with it. Lord, I, I, with your help, did my best to unpack that, but there's, there's likely much more that could be said, and there's there's certain situations that could make it hard for us to take that on as a, as a truth that we operate out of. So Lord, I'm just asking you to remove barriers and help us sit with the truth that an unbelieving heart is an evil thing if it's pointed towards you because you deserve our belief. You deserve our trust. You deserve our love. You've shown that you are both good and powerful. Please help us, Lord, to, to not misunderstand. Lord, to, to conceive of your greatness, to think of your The eternality of your nature. To think of all that the Bible does reveal about who you are. Of course, there's going to be points where we don't understand. Lord, you're not you're not talking. You're not warning us against a lack of understanding here. You're warning us against a willful unbelief, a posture of unbelief towards you. That's it's dangerous and it's harmful. Please help us, Lord, to, to root out every potential of that from our hearts. And Lord, help us to have wise eyes and discerning ears. Help us, God, to watch each other's back as it pertains to the deceitfulness of sin. May we we realize that all of us in this way can be like fish, that we get really excited about the bait, man. We, We don't see the hook. And Lord, we need your help in this and we need one another's help in this. And God, I ask that you would anoint us to play our part in Guarding one another against the deceitfulness of sin. And and I pray, Lord, that your word, which left us no wiggle room, uh, has brought conviction and excitement and encouragement to us that today is the day to take these things into consideration. To not push it off, but to really engage with these challenges, these warnings, these encouragements. And Lord, uh, I I just pray um, a supernatural anointing upon this congregation to have the strength and everything that they're going to need to walk out what you've called us to today. Thank you for the promise of your presence with us because we really need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies